Welcome to Nathan Cage Injury Podcast on the couch today. I've got Mark, the creator of AAA MF YouTube channel. Mark, pleasure. Hi, Nathan. Nice How to see you. Yeah, very well. Nice to see you. Pleasure. Thanks for coming down. Thanks for bringing your beautiful car. Where's your smoked salmon bagels? <laughs> Later. You promised me breakfast. <laughs> I did. I caught you still water. Tell everyone it's a Sunday morning. It is a Sunday morning. Got me out of bed it's early. It's not Sunday, you're lying. It's lunchtime and you have to leave early because you've do. got things to do today, haven't I you? Do. Mark, people want to know. I mean, you've got six and a half million views on YouTube. That's incredible. <clears throat> Thanks. Seven million. Seven. Wow. Seven million <clears throat> views. How did you... Do you remember starting your YouTube channel and why did you start it? Do you want me to look at the camera or you? As you wish. I'll look at the camera. Um, I started a YouTube channel because I love, love, love cars. And I've loved cars since I was 10 years old. My dad was in the car business and my grandfather was in the car business. Um, and I used to get magazines at home at 10 years old and I'd open up these magazines looking at cars. And I was obsessed with cars. And so obviously when I could buy a car, I was only obsessed with buying the best car. And it took me, took me a while to be able to afford something nice. Uh, I had to build my way up. And obviously insurance is very expensive if you're young because you're going to have accidents when you're young. Yeah. I had accidents when I was young, lots of them. Um, back in 2009, uh, I had this Porsche 911 Speedster. It was a 1989, big wide body. I don't know if you know the one. Big wide bodied at the back, turbo body and uh, awful car to drive, but it looked insane. Yeah. It just it was beautiful. And um, it was quite a rare car. It had a very low roof, and, um, but it was horrible to drive. And I was like, I can't drive this every day. I have to buy another car. So I went out and I bought a Honda NSX 2003 Long Beach Blue. Um, I didn't realize that was gonna be a massive issue because the paint is a triple layer paint and it's done in Japan and it's done with lead, the paint. Oh, and over here, you're not allowed lead. So if you have an accident, they can't use the same paint, and it's three layers of paint. And I had an accident in it. It wasn't my fault. Um, my mum actually reversed into my car outside the house. Yeah. So, um, but I bought this NSX, and I had the Porsche, and I had the NSX. So I had one modern car and one old classic. And I really loved having two cars, going into the garage and being able to choose between the two. I hadn't had that up until that, that time. That was 2000 and, uh, I think that was 2008, nine, maybe seven. And uh, after that, I actually just wanted to have lots of cars in the garage to choose from <laughs> because what you realize is a lot of the time you see people with big car collections and you think, why do they need so many cars? Mm. The reason they need so many cars, they don't need them. It's nice to have lots of cars. is because every car has a different characteristic yeah. and they're all different to drive. And it's really lovely to get into different cars and drive different cars. Mm -hmm. So um, when I could afford it, uh, I bought another car and then I bought another car and then another car. And I bought these beautiful, um, I bought beautiful Ferrari 360 Challenge Stradale in TDF Blue. It was one of Ooh. 10 in the world. I had a 964 Speedster, which was one of 14 in the world, which I replaced with the um, older version because the new one had power steering. The 1989 Speedster had no power steering, so you'd be, and it had a big steering wheel. So you'd be driving around like this, like, <laughs> like a bus, like you'd be driving a bus, like this. It was horrible. And everyone thought it looked so cool, but it was so bad to drive. So I replaced it with a 964 Speedster, and then McLaren came out, and I was dying to get a McLaren because they just looked so futuristic. 
So I bought a McLaren 12C. So at one point I had six cars in my garage. Is that the most you've had at one time? Yeah, it's People... just too many. It's so hard to look after six cars. MOTs, yeah. servicing, tax. Parking? Parking, storage. Um, and you can't really leave a car unless you've got a good storage facility. You shouldn't really leave. Cars need to be driven. Yeah. You shouldn't really leave cars in storage. No, it's not great to leave them in storage and they need to be driven. Things go wrong. I left the Ferrari in storage for six months, took it out and uh, the clutch broke. The clutch actuator broke on the motorway as I joined the motorway. And wow. All, yeah, and uh, I was stuck on the motorway for quite a while. So yeah, they need to be driven. Um, so that was the most I had at any, any one time. And it was around that time I just thought, no one gets to see my cars. Yeah. I don't get to use my cars that much. Uh, it'd be really nice to show people my cars because a lot of people at the time were asking me, can I go for a drive in it? Can I take photos? This is when Instagram was just starting to pick up and YouTube was starting to pick up with cars. And um, one of the uh, well-known Instagrammers, Sam, seen through glass, loved 360 Challenge and he came around to my house and I took him for a spin. And then he said, can I film with two of your Porsches? Because um, I have two rare GT3 RS 4 liters from 2011-12 and he said can I film those two cars together and um, so I went along and I thought well why don't I do a YouTube video about him making the video good it was a good idea in principle <laughs> it was an awful it was an awful first attempt at a video I actually deleted it I deleted it because the cameraman I used didn't even have a stabilizer. He just had a had a camera and he was going around with a camera. So the car, when I was driving in the car, it was just shaking. Oh, no. So you could see me, like the camera shaking as I was driving the car. I deleted the video. But Sam's got a nice video of my two cars yeah. on his channel. And um, and then I was, you know, I'm, I'm one of these people that's a perfectionist, which is good and bad, you know. You know. I noticed that from last week. <clears throat> when you're a perfectionist, you know, you want to, if you want to do something, you've got to do it right. So I set out to basically do a really good video with my cars. And I didn't realize that was going to take probably about a year to do. To find, to find the right cameraman, mm -hmm. um, you have to have a photographer. I always have a photographer now, as you know, from when we filmed. Yeah. Um, people may not know, we filmed your car against an Audi R8 V10 Spider, mm. and, and you thought it would take half an hour to an hour to film. We I were there for what, four, four hours, hours yeah. four hours. So I always have a photographer now. Um, but you become, if you're, if you're creating a YouTube channel, you end up being the producer, the creator. You're also edit, helping to edit the video, and it's really your creation. Yeah. Um, you're the director as well. Um, so not only do you have to source the cars, which we'll come on to, but you have to, um, it's like making a mini movie. So at the end of the day, when you see that finished product, you want to be proud of that product. And obviously YouTube lasts forever. Once it's on YouTube, it's there forever. Yeah. So you want a product that's going to stand the test of time, just like a movie would. Um, so yeah, it took me a while to, to perfect some good videos. And there's been some good and bad ones. And obviously the English weather doesn't help. Of course. A lot of the times we've tried to film and it's windy and obviously you can't film voice when it's really windy, even if you've got a microphone on. When it's very windy, it's very difficult to capture sound very well. And um, when it's raining, you can't really film in the rain because the cars don't really work very well in the rain and mm -hmm. water gets onto the lens. Um, you know, we don't have a massive film crew, you know, where we can cover up all of the lenses no, of if course. it's raining. Um, we've, did, we've been to a drag race before at Bruntingthorpe. And we've had a lineup, and I've had a Ferrari, an Audi, 
uh, McLaren and we've and we've had a flag girl and she goes three two rain <laughs> and the McLaren had semi-slick tires on it. oh no so he didn't go anywhere no, I bet. he put his foot down he didn't go anywhere he couldn't even keep up so uh, you have lots of things like that so it took me a while to perfect you know the right content that I wanted to go onto YouTube What's the hardest part now? So you've got your cameraman, you've got your photographer. <clears throat> What's the hardest part of what you do at the moment? What's the biggest challenge? Um, the biggest challenge was getting to the point where I'm at now, where I've got my cameraman and photographer that we get on really well. So Jack, uh, my photographer's been with me for three years, mm -hmm. and uh, Jay's been with me for over two years. Um, so we know exactly what we need to do when we get to a shoot. Yeah. So the cameraman knows exactly what we want to film, and the photographer knows exactly what shots he needs to get the thumbnail. Um, so that's the hardest part. Um, beyond that, sourcing the cars and coming up with um, material that you think people want to see is also a challenge. Yeah. But again, it's just like a movie. You could have Robert De Niro in a movie and it could still flop. Yeah. You don't know when you put out a video onto YouTube what's going to do well and what's not. No, I agree. So all you can do as a movie producer or as a creator of a YouTube channel is put out something that you think is going to do well, yeah. something you think is going to be interesting for other people and try and do it to the best of your ability. So even if it's a bad, bad content or not interesting content, if it's filmed well, people still want to see it. Yeah. So people are very much attracted to videos that have amazing editorial content, but sometimes the, the actual um, content itself isn't that interesting. When you first started, was it quite hard to sort of get that traction? Like, do you remember putting up a video first and thinking, oh, it's not getting too many views? Yeah. Yeah. And You'd sit by, by the laptop going, <laughs> 10 views, 20 <laughs> views, 100 views, 1,000 views, and then it just stops. And you're like, why has that video only got 2,000 views and it's been up there for two weeks? And you'd like shake your head and scratch your head. And At some point, did you think, oh, <clears> you know what, well, it's, it's not worth doing? Yes. And, Yes. What did that feel like and what made, what encouraged you and what sort of kept you going to sort of, I'm going to do it again? Good question. <laughs> I don't know no. the answer to that. <laughs> yes, I've definitely wanted to give up two yeah. or three times, yes. So uh, the, biggest, the biggest reasons why I wanted to give up was because my cameraman let me down. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had a cameraman who was really good, Tim Foster, and then um, he basically left the country and I had another cameraman. Um, Daniel, uh, who um, basically went on to do other things. So when you have a relationship with a cameraman, who's which is a really good relationship, and then they have to go on and do other things or move on to other jobs, it's uh, quite challenging then to find someone else yeah. because there's lots of cameramen around, but you've got to find someone that you have a rapport with. Sure. And someone who you get on with and someone who's style. also... Yeah, and someone who's flexible as well because obviously... You know, you never know when you're going to film. So you need to have someone that can be a little bit flexible in terms of their schedule. So that was a, biggest, a big challenge for me. So every time a cameraman said to me, look, I can't do this anymore and I'm moving on, mm. um, I was like, oh, I'm going to give up. Um, I could have done it myself, um, but I'm not very good with technology. I tried editing myself. I really didn't get on with it. And um, I could have done the, you know, hold the camera myself. But I, got, I never really wanted to do that kind of style. I wanted to differentiate myself from the other YouTubers who do hold their own phone and do their own editing. I wanted to do more of a movie production. Um, you know, it comes was, across like that. 
Well, I was slightly older than most of the YouTubers that's, you know, like a lot of the YouTubers were in their 20s. And when I started it, um, I was in my early 40s. And uh, I just thought, I want to do something a bit different, a bit more professional. And I put a little bit more money into it. And I wanted it to come across more of as a kind of um, like a mini Top Gear series. Has it cost you a lot of money to, to create your channel? Uh, the first, I think it's been running now for about two and a half years. Yeah, the first year, year the first year cost me money. Yeah. yeah, and definitely trial and error, finding cameramen. You know, because you don't know a cameraman's good until you use him. Mm -hmm. Remember, the the big part of a, of a YouTube video is the editing, and you don't see the edit till the edit's finished. Yeah, um, you can be a part of that process because now what I do is Jay will do a video and he'll send me the draft. And then I'll say to him, look, add this, change this, add this. Didn't we film this? You missed this bit out, let's add this. But a lot of the time now, because we've been working together for so long, the draft is, I don't really need to change a lot. It's pretty much on point, yeah. Yeah, but because when we're filming it, I'm telling him, let's put this bit here, let's put this bit here. <clears throat> but when you have a new cameraman, he sends you the draft. If it's rubbish, you've then got to make that big decision. Yeah. You know, do you get rid of him? Do you not use the video, the content, or do you try and work through that? Yeah. And a lot, and some of the time I've hired a cameraman, paid him, hired a runway. So, you know, a runway can cost you About anywhere thousands. up. It can cost you up to a thousand pounds, maybe more. But I've hired a runway, hired a cameraman, seen the video footage, and I've been, no, that's horrendous. I'm not putting that on my channel. So you're down, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred pounds on a video. Wow. Yeah. Where do you expect your channel to take? What, do you, what else do you want to do with it? Are you taking? Are you going to carry on with your channel? Or is it something you want to just? Where do you see it going? Another good question. I haven't really thought about it. <laughs> so I had. Uh, no, I'm like. I have. I have thought about it. So for me, there was a three-stage process for the YouTube channel. So the first part of the process, and I think this is really important for anyone starting a YouTube channel because it's not easy. No, it's not. Right? Like a podcast. Yeah. Like, you know, right? It's very hard to get that initial traction. It really is. Um, and it requires, like anything, it requires commitment and hard work and sometimes a bit of money. It does. Yeah, you do have to invest. If you're saying, you, look, it's, like any, it's like a business, right? If you want to it's treat like it a like business. a business, you've got to invest money. <clears throat> so, got, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's my, that would be my advice. It's a job. Yeah. It's like a full-time job running a YouTube channel. So my idea was to have three stages. The first stage was um, to build up the channel and to get views, okay, to get awareness. That was my first target, which I did. The second target was to run a YouTube channel without it costing me money, which I've done, which I'm doing in the yeah. process of. So now I'm getting sponsorship. So as you see, like at the beginning of my videos, there's a sponsor. Um, BOTB have been really good. You can buy a, um, a ticket and win a car every week from BOTB. Nice. And they're quite happy to sponsor videos so far. Um, but it very much depends on the amount of people that watch the video and um, how many people they get to their site. So they have a link yeah. and the link goes to their site. So they can see how many people are buying tickets from my channel. Yeah. And if it wasn't successful for them, they wouldn't, they wouldn't sponsor the video. So I've gone out and tried to get more sponsors. So in the last six months um, and the next six months, that's the process we're trying to do. So film everything basically without it costing me money yeah. um, so that I have money to pay the cameraman, the photographer, and um, there's obviously some other stuff involved. Um, you know, petrol to the, to the filming, sometimes hiring a racetrack, 
paying for lunch for everyone. You know, if you've got six, eight people, you've yeah. got to buy everyone lunch, that's another 100 quid to add, 100 quid for fuel. And why should it cost you, right? <clears throat> because ultimately, there's people out there that are getting the benefit of watching these videos. Yeah, so a lot of people on YouTube, you know, watch the content and make nasty comments. That's mm -hmm. quite regular. And they go, what about the sound? And they've watched the whole video, they've enjoyed the video. You know that they've, some of them have liked the video, but they, all they comment about is sometimes stupid little things, which is quite annoying. But that's YouTube. Uh, you just have to live with that, with have criticism. You, have you learned to deal with that? I mean, at the beginning, it must have been quite hard, right? Yeah, it's very hard at the beginning, because yeah. you're, you're not used to being in the public eye. Mm. If you're in the public eye, you're going to get haters. Yeah. Uh, no matter what you do, no yeah. matter what industry, if you're in the public eye, you're going to get people that watch it and hate it, and you have to accept that. Uh, my rule of thumb for YouTube is if anyone is, is swears, uh, I delete their message and normally block them from the channel. To make yeah. comments yeah. if they if it's just nasty criticism i just leave it sometimes i reply um and um explain like you know i just filmed in miami um and i had a the cameraman that was in miami i've never met him before and the sound didn't come out brilliantly and a lot of people commented on the sound it was under a video of a 911 speedster I saw it dark blue one yeah it was That's beautiful and and i filmed this video in miami so it's, i've taken a day out of my holiday in mm. miami to go and film this car, which was lovely, but it still takes a day out of my time and I've spent literally two, maybe a, a whole week talking to the cameraman to edit the video with him, to wow. make it more my style and tell him what to add. And, uh, and then you put the video live and then people go, the sound's terrible. And you're like, okay, fine, fair enough. So I, I let some of that go over my head. I replied to one person and I said, well, it was a new cameraman. He goes, no problem, I'm a big fan, I love your videos, thank you. That's it, yeah. So a lot of the time, people aren't doing it you know, with some, the intention of people, being nasty. No, that's right. Sometimes they're like, oh, I just want to hear a little bit more. Like, they don't mean it. Yeah. Maybe they're sort of just... Sometimes it's constructive critique. criticism. Absolutely. If you hear that, you know, for next time, I'll know, I'll say to the cameraman, what was wrong with the mic or why was there bad noise? But again, you don't know how it's going to come out until you see the final version. Yeah. You don't know when you're filming if the mic is picking up all of the sound. You don't know that. So I did a video once in... Um, I love filming in Essex in Hanningfield Reservoir because beautiful scenery. And everyone got to the location at 7 a.m., including Miss Emma Walsh, who's also a YouTuber. And uh, she came down. And um, at the end of filming, she did a video for her channel about what we were doing. So we were filming some Porsches. And um, after we finished my video, she got out the car and um, her microphone here, the cable had come out of the, of the controller, yeah, the control box. And no sound, and there was no sound. That was no, so we had no video. Because it was me and her talking about the car. And she had to go, everyone had to go, the guy with the car had to go, and uh, there was no video. So everyone had gone down there for seven o'clock in the morning. It's a long way from London. Yeah. Everyone had got up early, and there was no video. So that happens, that it happens. It's happened here as well. There you go. That's part and parcel of it, you right? You can film a whole podcast, you and realize there's no sound, there's no sound yeah. and you've got no podcast. That's why I've got two mics. So you, Luck enough, yours can get onto this and mine right. can get onto yours. Right, well, it, well, we use two mics in a car, but my mic wouldn't pick up what Emma is saying in, okay. in the car. It, wouldn't oh. pick it, it didn't pick it up. Do you it get wasn't paranoid about enough. that now? As in, like, do you double check? Yeah, like, of course we check. Like, as in, like, like you... I said, you learn from your mistakes. It is like making a movie. Yeah. It really is. You've got to come up with the finances. You've got to come up with the actors and actresses. Yeah. You know, you've got to come up with the cars, yeah, the car, the content, the location, the photographer. It's it's quite a big job to do to do properly. Yours you know? is really hard. 
because you've got all that to deal with. You've got the outside elements which you can't control. You've got other people which you can't dictate you must come here at a certain time because if they decide on the day, I don't want to come, That's happened. what happened? That's happened. What you do? Cars have not turned up. Oh, I was, filming, I was filming an F12 and 812 and we had everything planned. So, you know, the location, we had the cameraman, the photographer, the guy with the F12 and the guy with the 812 messaged me the night before and said, uh, I can't make it. I'll come pick up your car. You don't need to make it. I'll come and pick your car. That's actually happened once. Has it? Yeah, so there was a lovely guy, um, Zen car driver on Instagram, who has a lovely collection of cars. He's got a McLaren Senna, an Aston Martin. He's got um, a Lamb two Lamborghinis. Beautiful collection of cars. Lovely, lovely guy. And uh, we were filming his uh, McLaren 600LT, which he'd just purchased. And I was at my sister's house, and it was a Saturday night. And um, it was six o'clock and I messaged him and I said, don't forget, 8.30 tomorrow morning, Hanningfield Reservoir. And he wrote back, I'm sorry I can't make it. Oh. And my heart sunk because I was doing a review of three cars, a Lamborghini Performante, a McLaren 600 LT and a Ferrari 488 GTB. It's on my YouTube channel. It's a lovely video. And I drove all three back to back. And the first video was going to be his car a review of the McLaren 600LT, and then I had the other cars coming to compare the McLaren to the Lamborghini and the Ferrari. And um, the next line was, my father-in-law has broken his hip, and if you break your hip, you have to have an operation immediately. And he's in hospital, and, um, but you can come and pick up the car. And I was like, and I said, where do you live? And I, was, I looked at it, I was like, well, that's far, okay. <laughs> I think it was like an hour and a 20 minutes from my sister's house. Anyway, so I jumped in. I had a Lamborghini Performante Spider at the time, and he had a blue Performante Spider at the time, so that was quite cute. Yeah. So, as in, he trusted me to drive his McLaren. So I drove in my Lambo to his house on a Saturday night, picked up his McLaren, and um, drove away from his beautiful house, and um, I looked down at the, uh, the instruments, and I saw 55 miles on the car. <laughs> He'd given me a brand new car wow. that he hadn't even driven yet. Crazy. Yeah, that was crazy. So I drove into town. I was too scared to park the car in town. Yeah. I was going for dinner on Saturday night in town. I was too scared to park. This was so like this beautiful, vague blue McLaren 600 LT, brand new. Oh my God. And I'm like, I can't, I can't park it in town. I'm too scared. <laughs> Can you imagine? So I parked it like two miles away from where I was going, got a cab into town, and then um, I had to park it in my garage at night. My garage is quite tight. So I was praying it would get in the garage and it did. And then we drove it all the way to location, drove it all day long. And then I drove it back to him and uh, yeah, what a lovely guy. And since then, he, I've driven his Lamborghini, two of his Lamborghini. I did a video with his Aventador SVJ. And uh, he actually said to me, um, I'm going to this car event at McLaren Technology Center, organized by Cars and Coffee. I want to take my McLaren Senna you take my Lamborghini Aventador SVJ. This is a £400,000 car. Wow. He said, just pick it up from HR Own Service Centre. <laughs> just pick it up. So HR Own Service Centre know me because I had a Lamborghini, yeah. which helped. Um, and so I phoned them and, and I went to pick up the car. Uh, I think it was a Saturday or Sunday morning. And I met my photographer there and my cameraman. We did a video of it. And I drove his car to his house and then drove to McLaren and then drove back. And it was quite an interesting day, yeah. What cars have you felt where you've picked it up and got like been really nervous about driving them? The event of the was that one. That was the one. Yeah, it's very very wide. You can't really see out of it. And in most Lamborghinis, you can't see out the back. 
So they, they, they look amazing, yeah. but if you look from the back, you can't really see anything. So oh. they have cameras, yeah. but there's no real visibility. And the, the Aventador is quite a wide car. You would never be able to get through a six foot six. <laughs> in, in, we know about six foot six. <laughs> yeah, so I came to um, meet Nathan today in my 911 GT3 RS, and there's six foot six width restrictions all around Islington. And <laughs> I was a little bit nervous. It's the protection. A little bit nervous. You couldn't get through a six foot six and an Aventador. You wouldn't even try. I don't no. think, it, I think it's wider than six foot six. That is insane. So I was, I was, that was probably the only car I've been nervous of driving. Yeah, I, haven't, yeah. I don't get really nervous driving. I'm fully insured to drive any car up to any value. Out of all the cars that you've done, all the reviews and all the videos that you've made, which video do you think stands out the most? Is there a video you think, I, I love that, that's a masterpiece of mine? Well, it's not a masterpiece of mine, but the cameraman and the editing. You know what I mean. Um, well, the most successful video so far has been a drag race that we filmed at Bruntingthorpe. It was a Christmas special two years ago, um, or a year and a half ago. And um, it's had, no, it was a year ago, last Christmas. Not this glass one, not a year before. And we had 1.2 million views on that. Wow. Yeah. People are going to ask, and people would want to know, would that generate any income? Yes. Decent amount, or are you not going to... It's a decent amount if you, have, you already have a job. Okay. If you don't have a job, no. Okay. It's the, 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 rough out, the rough income for YouTube at the moment, I think, is about $1,000 for a million views. Not a lot. It's not it a lot. Not a lot. No, but the money, the money that you get um, from putting a YouTube video together is the sponsorship. Yes. So that's where the money comes from. Brand deals, mm -hmm. which I don't have any. Um, if anyone's yeah. looking <laughs> or listening, um, it's really the sponsorship. So like I said, I get sponsors now for videos. So the sponsorship can normally cover the cost of a video and then you get the advertising revenue on top. top. But for me, it's never been about trying to make money. From I, I always knew that it would take time to make money on YouTube. Yeah. So as I said, the first year was just to try and get good content and awareness. Second year was for it not to cost me money. And the third year, I want to try and make some money out of YouTube. But you never started out it for it just to make money, right? It wasn't about that. That's not the reason why you started it. If you watch any successful people being interviewed, doing like what you're doing now, interviewing people to find out how they started, what drives them, uh, you'll see that anyone successful in life never started anything for money. Yeah. Because if you, if you don't do something for money, if you do something because you love it, it never feels like work, right? It never feels like work if you do something you love. And uh, for me, YouTube just feels like fun. And it is hard work. Yeah, it, is. it really is hard work, but it doesn't feel like work because I'm enjoying the creative process of putting together the, the content. Yeah. And I love then seeing that content go out to the public. And then I obviously get um, some uh, kind of, uh, what's the word? Not joy. Um, what's the word when you've uh, done something and you get positive feedback? I can't think of the word. Uh, I like affirmation okay. that you've done something well. It's like when you win an Oscar yeah. for a movie, you know? You don't care about winning the, you don't do the movie to win an Oscar. You go out, you film, recognition you do a, for, recognition is the yeah. word I was looking for, yeah. Thanks for helping. Um, when you do a movie, mm. as an actor, you do your best on the movie. You don't choose the movie because you think it's gonna win you an Oscar, and you just do your best. When you win the Oscar, you do it. You, 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 when you win the Oscar, you're like, great, people have um, recognized. You know, recognized my good work. And it's yeah. the same with, to a much lower degree, with a YouTube video. You put out a content that you think people are gonna like, you do your best, 
it goes out into the public domain. And if you get lots of views, you're like, okay, people have recognized it's, it's good work. And so that's the only recognition you really get. Yeah. And obviously subscribers. So your subscriber base builds up if you do good videos. So we've hit actually today, we hit 40,000 subscribers on YouTube. Thank you, which isn't bad. Not bad, it's not brilliant. You get, uh, I think you get a YouTube star if you get 100,000 subscribers. So that's the target, 100,000 subscribers. Um, but that's kind of a small recognition. When yeah. you start to build up your subscriber base, you realize people are looking forward to your content. That's probably the, the nicest thing about YouTube, uh, when you get people coming up to you or you hear that people are looking forward to the next video. Um, and that's been really, that was really good on my last trip to Miami. I got people coming up to me in the US recognizing me yeah. and saying, we love your channel. And you know, my, the US, believe it or not, is my biggest um, audience on YouTube. Wow. Yeah, it's 25% US. That's great, that's yeah. amazing. And the UK is only 12%. Yeah, wow. yeah. Well, the big car scene in the US and more people, I guess. Yeah, of course. So um, when I go to America, I get recognized even more than in the UK, which is quite weird. Oh, so I've got, I've got two great stories about uh, Florida. So the first one, I'm at uh, a hotel in Miami and my friend is leaving the hotel and he said, can you watch my luggage? I said, of course I can. He said, I'm gonna go and get the car. He's got a rental car, so he's driving to the airport. So I'm watching his luggage and I'm standing in the lobby of the hotel and in the corner of my eye, I see a 911 GT3 RS <laughs> parked up in Viper Green, which is really rare. So I just leave his luggage, I run out to the car. <laughs> Hope he's not watching this. And I get my camera and I'm taking a photo of this car. And the owner of the car comes over and goes, AAA MF. No. I know you've got one of these. And I'm like, I'm like taken back, right? I'm like, how does he know who I am? So that was the first time that happened in, in the States and that was really weird. Nice feeling though, no? It was, it's a little bit weird when people recognize you in the street and you don't know who they are and they come up to you and they just start talking to you. Mm. A lot like of they know just you. Start, yeah, a lot of people start talking to you as if they just know you. Yeah. I guess that's the same with actors and actresses, mm. right? You just, I've, I've done that myself. I saw the guy from Billions, what's his name? Uh, Ginger. Yeah. I love him, he's Ginger. great. Lives in Tufnell Park. Yeah, what's his name? Can't remember. I, I saw him where I live. Axel. Axel Bobby Rod. Axel. <laughs> Bobby Axelrod. <laughs> I saw him where I live. And uh, I just went up to him and said, photo, <laughs> can I have a photo, can I have a selfie? I did start talking to him after that. And uh, he closed his eyes for the selfie. <laughs> he went like that. It's so I've got a photo with him with his eyes closed. So that was the first time. Uh, the second time that really shocked me, which was the best really, because I was in Miami over Christmas and um, I was at a car show and I was actually in a Dodge Viper that I'd been lent by a dealer, HG, H. Greg Lux, lent me a car to go to a car show because we'd done some content with them that week. And I really got on well with the guy that runs it, Mark. And he said, do you want a car to take to this show? I said, yeah. He goes, what car do you want? I said, you've got a green Dodge Viper in your garage. I've always wanted to drive a Dodge Viper. It's a V10, eight liter truck engine oh in a car. Oh my God, wow. It's interesting. And, um, so I'm at this show, I'm in the Dodge Viper, I'm walking around taking photos. And I see this 911 Speedster, the brand new one, 2020 model. It's called the 991.2 Speedster. And um, taking a photo, and the guy who owns the car comes over to me. Hey, you triple eight MF. <laughs> I recognized you, I love your videos. Is that a good American accent? It's not bad. And um, I said, thank you. I said, 
do you want your speedster to be on my channel? He said, sure. I said, are you free tomorrow? He goes, sure. Because I was flying to New York on the Monday and this was a Saturday. Oh, God. I said, are you free on the Sunday? He said, yeah. And I ended up driving to his house in Miami and the loveliest guy, his name's Ernie, his um, Instagram was uh, the GT Dreamer or GT Dreamer. He's got a YouTube channel as well that nice. he's trying to start. And he has a beautiful collection of cars. And um, he said, I've got a cameraman. You don't need my, your own cameraman. I said, great. So I just turned up at his house, met him, saw his car collection, and I drove his 911 Speedster oh around God. Miami. Hello. Lovely. Living Lovely. the dream. GT Dreamer. So um, that just went live uh, on YouTube a few I days love the ago. drone. I love the effects on that as well. <clears throat> yeah, so we went to this place in Miami called The Gables, which is a private development with houses worth, you know, $20 million. Incredible. And we just drove along there and we had the drone going over there. And incredible. Actually, we didn't do the drone work on the day. I said, because he lives there. Mm -hmm. So I said to the cameraman, so this is, this is the, where the experience of having a YouTube for two years comes in. I told the cameraman exactly what we needed. So I said, look, we haven't got drone. You've got a drone. Come back and do the drone another day. Get some drone shots with the trees and come back and do some more B-roll shots. Um, <clears throat> B-roll means beauty roll, beauty shots, right? B-roll means basically when you're filming from another car. So act, basic action shots okay. of the car. So normally it's someone hanging out the back of the car yeah. or if you've got a lot of money on a rig, you know, like on the back of a truck and yeah. they've got a big camera and the car is driving along and you're getting those action shots of the car driving. So there's static B-roll, which is when the car is stationary, you're going around the car with the camera and then there's B-roll, which is um, when you're taking it, an action shot. So that's where all the great shots really come from. Yeah. And that's also a technique, learning how to drive the car for the B-roll shots. Yeah, of course. That yeah. must be really difficult. Well, you yeah, learned was, how to do that last Sunday. It's really hard, actually. It's not easy, especially for the first time. I'm just like, what am I doing? Just driving around. Well, the thing is, now when I'm doing the B-roll shots, you know, and I'm driving the car, I know in my head what looks good on camera. Yeah. So I know that one of the best shots is when you go from a, from a distance all the way up to the cameraman yeah. and literally within half a meter of the cameraman leaning out the back of the car. Yeah. And, you know, it looks a bit dangerous, but the shot you get is incredible. So if you look at, I did a Ferrari 812 Superfast review oh, and the beginning of that video is the car coming from a distance up to the camera oh, and it just looks insane. So you, know, you get to learn what shots to do when you're doing all of those action shots. So it just ta it takes time. Going away from cars, your love is, you love food, right? Tell me, about, tell me about your love for food. I love cooking. You love cooking? I love cooking. When did uh, that start? 15. Wow, early. Maybe earlier. 12, I made egg mayonnaise at school. Egg mayonnaise? <laughs> egg mayonnaise. Boil an egg, have to get it not hard, cut it down the middle, put mayonnaise on top, bit of paprika. Yeah. That's egg mayonnaise at you, school. Because you've got a, um, an Instagram for, for food as well, haven't you? Yes, yeah, so... So I, I wanted to go to catering college mm -hmm. when I was 15 to learn how to cook. And my mum said, no way. She said, um, it's not a great life to uh, stand up in a kitchen all day long and you're going to be working until one in the morning and it's not a great life as a chef. So I, I don't know why I listened to her, but I did listen to my <laughs> mum. Never normally listened to my mum, but at that age I did. And um, so I didn't go into cooking. And um, I always had that passion for cooking and again it was a creative side of me that never really came out because it's very creative when you're cooking just like yeah. a youtube channel creating a video is very um creating a video yeah it's very creative yeah you have to think about how to do it it's very artistic 
And um, I always wanted to do um, create food. And again, what's nice about cooking is you get to see people's faces as soon as they've eaten. Yeah. So that's nice as well. You get immediate recognition, not like a YouTube video where you yeah. have to wait <laughs> a week or two weeks and see if anyone watches it. Uh, with cooking, you know, you invite people around to your house, make them a meal, yeah. and you see what they say. If they just stay silent, you know they're not enjoying it. If they ask for seconds, you know they're you enjoy, enjoying it. Yeah. That's the that's the true test. You give them a small portion, <laughs> and then they go, "I want more. Is there more? Is there more?" So yeah, I love that. Um, and I, a lot of the time, I get people saying to me when I have them around for dinner parties, "How do you make that? How did you make that?" And again, that's kind of how the YouTube channel started because people used to ask me, what car shall I buy? What car shall I buy? Yeah. And it became you know, a daily thing. I'd get emails or phone calls, what shall I buy, what shall I buy? And I just thought, well, I want to help people and give people some knowledge from my experience of buying cars. And it was the same with the cooking, with the um, Instagram. I just set it up because people kept asking me for recipes. Yeah. So I thought, well, I'll do it on Instagram. It's easy, I'll, I'll cook something, I'll put a recipe. People can see the recipe, and that still happens. So I, I everything, every time I cook something, I, I try and put it on. Or if I go to a good restaurant, yes. I like to share where I've been. It's not, some of the food that you eat and what you cook is absolutely <laughs> stunning. Like It's lovely food. Well, I, I like going out for dinner. If, if, if I'm not cooking myself, I like to go out. Yeah. Um, I'd much prefer to cook myself than go out to most restaurants, though. Mm -hmm. um, so I choose good restaurants. They don't have to be expensive, um, but they have to be really good food. Um, otherwise, I don't want to pay money to go to a restaurant where it's not really good food. We'll go into some questions in a sec, just from other people, but there's one question that sticks out, which they've asked. Which car do you regret selling the most? Not financially, but emotionally. That's a very difficult one. Um, I was driving through London in 2016, and a taxi driver pulled out of nowhere and went straight into the side of my Ferrari, and I had a Challenge Stradale. It was a 2004 model tan leather interior, TDF blue. It was 10 in the world, right-hand drives in that color. Oh my God. It was written off. So that wasn't my choice to sell that car. In terms of cars I really enjoyed driving, that I sold probably the Honda NSX. I had a black one after the blue one, a 2005. Nice Very low they are, aren't they? Beautiful, yeah. It was the last of the 15 they ever made of the 2005 model, nice. NA2 it's called. So it was a naturally aspirated 3.2 litre V6. Um, I regret selling that. It was a black car. Um, I sold it for 57,000. It's probably now about 90 to 100. So it wasn't really, but it wasn't from but a financial no. point of view. It was more from an emotional point of view. I wish I still had that car in the garage. I wish I had a lot of cars in my garage. The thing is, you know, I'm not a multimillionaire and I, I have to sell something to buy something new. Sure. But I'm happy with the cars that I bought because I ended up selling most of my collection at one point to buy a GT3 RS 4 litre. Yeah. And that's one of 600 in the world. And it's still probably the most enjoyable car I've ever driven in my life. And the most involving yeah. the one I turned up today in. It's amazing. Yeah, so it's not the best car in the world. It's not the fastest car. It doesn't look the best, but it's got a manual gearbox, which is a thing going to be a thing of the past. Yeah. So Lamborghini now don't make manuals. Ferrari don't make manuals, and um, so it's. I think it's going to be a, a, a long-term collector's and item. You've made money on cars as well, right? <clears throat> I have. Yeah, and that's, I mean, 
I don't know many people that make money on cars. I've, I've never made that. That's what a lot of my friends say, and that's why I used to get emails and calls all the time. Yeah. Because I used to make money on cars. So I started buying cars. I couldn't afford to buy a car back in uh, 1998. I bought a home in 96 in Belsays Park, and I couldn't afford to buy a nice car. And I thought, well, what car can I buy that's not going to look like uh, you know, a cheap car? Yeah. So I went to Germany and I bought a 2000, no, what year was it? 1990, I bought a 1990 BMW E30 M3. Mm, nice. So they only made those in left-hand drive and it was like square-looking BMW. And in Germany, it was looked on as a, like an old car. And in the UK, it was a classic car. So I had like that arbitrage there between old and classic. So I bought the car. I paid £8,500 for it. In 1998, I drove it for a year. I spent two grand on it. So all in all, with the travel back, cost me about ten and a half thousand after a year, and I sold it for eleven. I thought, wow, I've made five hundred pounds driving the car I love. Yeah. Did it again, and I did it again. And then um, when I wanted to buy a nice Porsche, I bought a left-hand drive GT3, uh, 1999 model. Um, I lost money on that, but I had it for three years. Oh, okay. Um, so that's kind of, I, I kind of saved myself uh, from losing money on cars because I used to go to Germany yes, and make, buy cars in Germany. It makes sense, right? Um, Would you still do it now? But the car market's changed a lot. I bought a lot of cars, I told you, from 2008, nine, I started buying cars and yeah. that was the end of, that was like the financial depression. Yeah. And you know, car prices went up a lot from 2009 up to 2017 because of QE and there was a lot of cheap money around, interest mm -hmm. rates were low. Uh, but in 2017, the, the car market hit a peak. Mm. And so now it's not easy to make money on cars. And it's not easy to even uh, not lose a lot of money on cars. Yeah. You know, in t if you bought a car in 2010 and you sold it in 2015, you were going to make money if it was a nice car. Um, but from 2017 and onwards, it's been a real challenge to hold on to anything that doesn't lose money. 100%. What was your dream car as a child? Uh, that's easy. Lamborghini Countach. Oh my God, that was an unbelievable car. I had a poster on my wall. So that was the one, just in case, some of the, that's the one before the Diablo. Yes. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, you know your cars. Yeah, oh, I used to love what the What was concept. the one after the Diablo? Uh, Merchelago? Very good. Yeah. Merchelago. Merchelago. Yeah, that was, um, yes. So I had, a, I had a, a framed photo of a Countach and um, I think it had a, a silhouette of a woman. Of course it does. And it had a silhouette of the Countach and it says at the when necessity, when luxury becomes necessity. <laughs> I love that. And then when I could afford a Countach, I didn't buy one. Did you not? They're awful. And they're, yeah, shit you like to drive. Kit, kit cars. They're yeah. kit cars. Do you like kit cars? Just going off these questions, but do you like kit cars? No. No, okay. <laughs> um, what's been your toughest challenge? Even just as a human being, I don't think it's related to cars, but what's been your toughest challenge in life, do you reckon? Getting over an ex. Okay. How did you get over? I mean, <laughs> There's always light at the end of the tunnel now, right? Oof, getting over an ex is the hardest thing yeah. I've ever had to deal with. But, uh... I like your honesty. Get, how do you get over it? Time. Good healing, right? Uh, well, there's a few tips. Yeah. Delete their number. Yeah. Don't see them. Another one? I fell into that trap. Because yeah. when you see them, you right. still have that hope that you're going to get back together. Mm. And you can't see them. No. So you have to erase them from your memory. And the only way to do that is time. But you can help that process by not seeing them, yeah. not calling them, delete their number, stop following them on Instagram, Facebook, 
Out just of have no contact. Out of mind? Oops. Not initially, but yeah, it helps the process. Yeah. It helps, but that's been the hardest challenge. I like that. What's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? I pray. Genuinely, yeah. Yes. Nice. First time someone's I'm ever Jewish, said that. And I pray every day with tefillin. Amazing. Yeah. That grounds me. Yeah, I bet. That really grounds me. Yeah. yeah. Keeps you humble. You realise that there's more to life than, than money. Yeah. You realise that, that health is the only real important thing, mm. um, which a lot of people don't realise until they get ill. Yes. And uh, until you get ill, you don't realise how lucky you are to be healthy. 100%. So when I pray every day, just it, it grounds me. I love that. Three ingredient, three key ingredients to success. So, like one of mine, I believe, is action. <clears throat> so, uh, I think one of my my favourite phrases is um, basically the difference between most people that are successful and not is the ones that actually do something. Yes, so true. So a lot of people talk about doing something. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people I know, I'm going to start a YouTube channel, <laughs> but they don't. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start my own business, but I don't. So I think that um, I agree with you. Action. Yeah. Being proactive, doing something, mm -hmm. not being scared to fail. It's Everyone good. fails. The second one is doing something you love. Yeah. If you do something you love, you don't mind doing 18 hours a day. Would you recommend them, so <clears throat> if they've got a job, would you recommend them doing the stuff that they love on the side to begin with and maybe seeing where that takes them? Everyone's circumstances are different. True. You know, everyone's been brought up in different financial circumstances. You know, some people are poor and they can't even afford to eat. Yeah. Okay, so if you're in a position where you have to have an income to pay for your family or your, your girlfriend, your wife, your children, then obviously the, the risks are different and you have so. to take different actions. Um, I would say to people that don't have any liabilities, if you're 21, yeah. 25, and you're living at home. Just go do it. Do anything yeah. you want yeah. because you'll never get that opportunity again. Once you've got a mortgage wrapped around your neck, yeah. you are tied down. Yeah, you are. Absolutely. And, uh, and I, I would, the one thing I would say is don't be scared to give up a job to, to follow your dreams. Yeah, it's true. Unless you've got financial burdens, yeah. really fun, real financial burdens. If you've got a home, you can rent it yeah. um, and live with your parents. I had to do that at some point. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if, if you're having hard times, you can rent out your flat. But if you really have the opportunity to, to take, follow your dreams, then you should follow your dreams. Um, so, but I would say that you have to do something um, that you enjoy, because if you enjoy it, you'll work really hard to do it. I like that. And you have to have talent. You have to have talent. Yeah, you do. Yeah, Some you... people start up a YouTube channel, you watch them, and you're like, they're boring. But you can learn, right? Hmm. That's a, whole, that's a whole different, whole different topic. You know, can you learn to be? Can you learn to be the number one tennis player in the world? Probably no, not. You can't. No. You've you got to have something about you. You could learn to be the the, hun not the hundredth best tennis player in the world. Yeah. Yes, for sure. But I don't think you can learn to be the number one. You have to have talent. Yeah. And certain people have talent from a young age, and it's spotted. And some people have talent that they haven't unleashed yet. Mm -hmm. You have to have a certain amount of talent to do anything. I believe, but you can have 5% talent and 95% hard work and yeah. graft, or you can have 50% talent and hard work for 50%. Nigel Mansell is a great case for that. Nigel Mansell was not the best Formula One driver in the world, 
Uh, he couldn't get sponsorship. He remortgaged his house. Wow. Okay, to become an F1 driver. And, and look where he got. He was a grafter. When you saw him going through the F1 lane, he would graft his way through. And he wasn't as talented as Ayrton Senna. Um, Ayrton Senna had natural Triple, talent. Yeah. But M Nigel Mansell worked hard for it, risked everything he had, and he became one of the, he won the world championship and then got a drive, drove for Ferrari. He was so, a, yeah. So you have to have a bit of talent. True. All right. So some quick fire questions before we wrap up. Ready? I'm ready. Ferrari or Lamborghini? <laughs> Both. Start as you mean to pick one? I can't pick one. Oh, BMW or Mercedes? Mercedes. Burger. Black Series. Mercedes Black Ooh, Series. Okay. Burger or pizza? Burger. Favourite takeaway? That's the really good meat. <laughs> okay, but you'll have a burger, yeah? Burger. Uh, Favourite takeaway? Chinese. Favourite car brand? This is going to be controversial, but McLaren. Ooh, okay. Because they're new, yeah. and they've just done something so, that no one else has done, and they've come so far in such a short period of time. 100%. I like that a lot. Yeah, they have. But there are pitfalls with that, but yes. McLaren. <laughs> yeah. Texting or talking? <laughs> voice messages. That's no <laughs> so, compromise. Let's, let's go with I use voice messages a lot because it's more personal than texting. Yeah, agreed. I, I mean, and you don't know how people are going to read the text, right? Where if they hear your voice, text, say that, oh. Okay. I think... Um, I think texting is, can be really misread. Yeah, absolutely. Always use a voice message because people can hear your voice and your in, in, intonation in your voice and the tone. Yeah, and if you're uncomfortable, just keep practicing, you'll get better yeah. at it. Uh, or, or I love FaceTime. Fa <laughs> just have to make sure the person on the other end isn't naked. <laughs> well, they don't have to answer, right? <laughs> My mum FaceTimes me all the time. <laughs> I'm like, mum, I'm at a friend's house because I don't want to not answer my mum. Oh. So I always answer. And she goes, what are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm at a friend's house. I'm in Miami. <laughs> oh, okay. Nice. All right. <laughs> um, would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or talk to animals? <laughs> That's a serious question. <laughs> You've got to pick one of them. <laughs> it wasn't your question, was it? No. Um, I love being able to speak different languages. I can speak uh, basic French. I can speak basic Hebrew. And um, I'm really ashamed that I can't speak either fluently. So... Speaking language. Just nice. Say a word in Spanish. Gracias. Gracias. Uh, what does a person need to be happy? They need more than one thing. The most important thing is health. Yeah. And I think good friends. Hmm. Good friends can get you through terrible times. I like that. Uh, the last song you had on repeat. <laughs> I can't admit that. Oh, yeah, oh, it's got to come out now. <laughs> Oh it's God. a Nathan K. Jujibian <laughs> podcast exclusive. What is it? So there's a Greek uh, musician called Yanni. Y-A-N-N-I. And um, he doesn't sing. It's just instrumental. He has some women singing over his um, concerts. Um, I love his music. I find it very soothing. Nice. And he's got a song called Voyage. And I've been listening to that over and over again. If you listen to it on YouTube, I, you won't be able to stop. It's it's just incredible. Really? Yeah, really? Yanni. He's massively successful. Yeah. Massively successful. I'm going to get that now. Savory or sweet? 
Sweet. I mm. have a terrible sweet tooth. Good. Chocolate or is it chocolate I or sweet? I go to the pancake place in Hampstead, the crepe room. I know, yeah. Amazing. And I can't, I can't drive by without going there. People see it on my Instagram. Can you not? Really? I love it. What would you have? Um, butterscotch and cream with bananas. Mm, okay, yeah. nice. I've not had that one yet. We can Do you go have a, we Yeah, can we go should today. do. Not, not, maybe tonight. Yeah, call me later. Um, <laughs> what's been your most embarrassing moment? Ever? Yeah. Would you, is there one that sticks out in your mind and think, fuck me, like, that's embarrassing. He's thinking, by the way. No, there's, there's obviously been lots of embarrassing <laughs> yeah, moments. Probably, yeah. But I can't, I think probably sending an email to the wrong person. Oh, that's not nice. About someone. <laughs> what? Like I forgot to, I think I sent an email about someone and I forgot to delete the person I was sending it about. Oh, bugger. Yeah, and I think they got it. Yeah. There's no way back from that. No, there's not. Guys, today we've had Mark, Triple Eight, MF, presenter, creator, on the couch. Thank chef. you, wanna chef. chef. Wanna be chef. Uh, if so, anyone's out there, oh, you should meet up with my friend Chris. He's a great chef. He's here, he's there. Chris Baber, he works for MS. Good guy. I just yeah. saw the video uh, before I came. Oh, did you? Yeah, it was very interesting. He's a good guy. He did what he loved. Yes, he did. He, he followed, followed his passion. And, and I, I actually wanted to say something about that because I watched that video yeah. and he said that he was offered a job to run a restaurant mm -hmm. and he chose instead to be a TV chef. Yeah. And I, at the beginning, was told by lots of people to, to do YouTube, to use clickbait, okay, and to just use a camera yeah. and film with my own camera, you know, with my own iPhone and use clickbait. And I decided against that. I followed my heart, my gut instinct, which was to do like mini movies and always to be, keep it real yeah. and uh, not use clickbait. Uh, clickbait is when you put a title that doesn't really represent what, what you're you filming, think. you know. I crashed my car. Yeah. I nearly crashed my car. I don't use that. Um, it takes longer to build up a channel, but I think the longevity is there. Yeah, do it organically, like properly. Yes, agreed. Guys, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. All of Mark's details will be below for his channel, for his food, Instagram, everything. Thanks Thank for you watching so much. everyone. Thank you, take care. Oh, 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 oh,